So, Thursday, 22nd of December, 2016, at the VIHE in Rundavan, second session, Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 4, Vidura Approaches Maitreya, text 14 through 36. Everybody ready? Itiya dhikta ka parama shripumsa pratikshananu grahabhajanoham sneho taroma skalitash karastam munchan chicha pranjali abhase. Uddhava said, O Vidura, when I was thus favored at every moment by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and addressed by him with great affection, my words failed in tears, and the hairs on my body erupted. After smearing my tears, I, with folded hands, spoke like this. Kognishute pada saroja bhajam sudra laborte shuchadruva viha tata pinaham pravinomi bhumam O my Lord, devotees who engage in the transcendental loving service of your lotus seat have no difficulty in achieving anything within the realm of the four principles of religiosity, economic development, sense gratification, and liberation. But, O Great One, as far as I am concerned, I have preferred only to engage in the loving service of your lotus feet. Karmanya nihasya babo babasyate durashayota imbaya palayanam kalatmanonya pramada yutashrama satman rate kidyati dirvinam iha. My Lord, even the learned sages become disturbed in their intelligence. They see that your greatness engages in fruitive work, although you are free from all desires. That you take birth although you are unborn, that you flee out of fear of the enemy and take shelter in a fort, although you are controller of invincible time, and that you enjoy householder lives surrounded by many women, although you enjoy in yourself. Riche Prabhu Mugda Iva Pramatas Tano Mano Mohayati Vadeva. O my Lord, your eternal self is never divided by the influence of time, and there is no limitation to your perfect knowledge. Thus, you were sufficiently able to consult with yourself, yet you called upon me for consultation as if bewildered, although you are never bewildered. And this act of yours bewilders me. Jnanam haram svatma raha prakasham Prabhatrakasmai bhagavan samagam Abhikshamam no grahanaya bhartar Badanjasaya dvijinam tarema My Lord, can you explain to us if you think this compliment to receive it? That transcendental knowledge which speaks enlightenment about yourself, and you should explain before to Brahmaji. 
When I thus express my heartfelt desires unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the Lotus Eyed Lord instructed me about his transcendental situation. I have studied the path of understanding self-knowledge from my spiritual master, the personality of Godhead, and thus after circumambulating him, I have come to this place very much aggrieved due to separation. So Anta Darshana Lada Biyogarti Uta Prabho Tasya Mandalam My dear Vidura, now I am mad for want of the pleasure of seeing him, and thus to mitigate this I am now proceeding to Badakashram the Himalayas for association, as I have been instructed by him. Yatra Narayano Devo Narascha Bhagavan Rishi Nidur Jivran Tapo Dirgan Te Pate Loka Bhavanam There in Bhagavad Ashrama, the personality of Godhead, in his incarnation as the sages Nara and Narayana, has been undergoing great penance since time immemorial for the welfare of all amiable living entities. Sri Sukhavacha Ekhivavadupakanya Suridam Dushalambadam Gyanesashamayakshata Shokamupaditam Buddha Sri Sukhadeva Goswami said, After hearing from Uddhava all about the annihilation of his friends and relatives, the learned Vidura classified his overwhelming bereavement by deep transcendental knowledge. Satam Mahabhagavatam Rajantam Kauravarshava Vishrambhad Avyadatetam Mukyam Krishna Parigate Vaidudava, the chief and most confidential among the devotees of the Lord, was going away. Vidura, in affection and confidence, questioned him. Vidura Uvacha Gyanam Param Svatmaraha Prakasham Yaraha Yogeshwara Ishwara say, Bhaktum Bhavan Norati Yadid Vishnu, Rijya Swabhrijya Takrita Shanti. The Dura said, O Uddhava, because the servants of Vishnu, the Lord, wander in the interest of serving others, it is quite fit that you kindly describe the self knowledge with which you have been enlightened by the Lord Himself. Uddhava Bhavacha Nanu Tetatva Samrajya Rishiko Saravo Nite Sakshad Bhavadadisho Marchalo Kamjihasata Sri Uddhava said, You may take lessons from the great learned sage Maitreya, who is nearby and who is worshipful for reception of transcendental knowledge. He was directly instructed by the personality of Godhead when he was about to quit this mortal world. Sri Sukha Uvacha Iti Saha Vidure Navitva Murte Gunakataya Sudaya Bhavito Uttapha 
Sukadeva Goswami said, O King, after thus discussing with Vidura the transcendental name, fame, qualities, etc., on the bank of the Yamuna, Uddhava was overwhelmed with great affliction. He passed the night as if it was a moment, and thereafter he went away. Raja Uvacha Nidanam Bhagavate Shurishnivoyeshu Adira Tayuta Payuta Peshumukya Satyukatama Vasishta Udhoya Dariya Pita Yadhyakaitam The king inquired at the end of the pastimes of the Lord of the Three Worlds, Sri Krishna. And after the disappearance of the members of the Vrishni and Bodhi dynasties, who were the best of the great commanders, why did Uddhava alone remain? Sri Sukhuvacha Brahma Sapta Padeshena Kalena Mogavanchita Samvichya Swabhulam Spitam Takshya Vatena Machintayat Sukhadeva Goswami replied, My dear king, the cursing of the Brahmanas was only a plea, but the actual fact was the supreme desire of the Lord. He wanted to disappear from the face of the earth after dispatching his excessively numerous family members. He thought to himself as follows. Asmalokaduparate maigana marashayam arhatidava evada samrajyatmavatambara now, I shall leave the vision of this mundane world, and I see that Uddhava, the foremost of my devotees, is the only one who can be directly entrusted with knowledge about me. Uddhava is not inferior to me in any way because he is never affected by the modes of material nature. Therefore, he may remain in his world in order to disseminate specific knowledge of the personality of Godhead. Evamantriloka guruna sandhista shabayonina badaniya shama sadhya hanimiye samadhina Sukadeva Goswami informed the king that Uddhava, being thus instructed by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the source of all Vedic knowledge and the spiritual master of the three worlds, reached the pilgrimage site of Godric Ashram and engaged himself there in trance to satisfy the Lord. Vidura also heard from Uddhava about the appearance and disappearance of Lord Krishna, the super soul, in the mortal world, which is a subject matter sought after with great perseverance by the great sages. Dehanya samchatasyaivam dhiranam dayavardhanam anyesham dushkarataram pasunam vikalatmanam the Lord's glorious acts and his acceptance of various transcendental forms for the performance of extraordinary pastimes in the mortal world are very difficult for anyone other than his devotees to understand, and for the beasts they are simply a mental disturbance. 
Understanding that he was remembered by Lord Krishna while quitting this world, Vidura began to cry loudly, overwhelmed by the ecstasy of love. Kalindya Katibi Siddha Aho Birgata Shamba Prabhadyata Swasaritam Yatra Mitra Sutomuni After passing a few days on the bank of the river Yamuna, Vidura, the self-realized soul, reached the bank of the Ganges where the great sage Maitreya was situated. Okay, so the main... theme we're going to look at here is how to know and love God. Okay, so we're going to look at how to know and love God, and we're going to look at how devotees such as Uddhava and Vidura know and love God, and we're going to look at the guru-disciple relationship and Krishna's behavior and separation from Krishna. So those four things. How devotees such as Uddhava and Vidura know and love God, the relationship between guru and disciple, knowing God in terms of Krishna's behavior, and feeling separation from Krishna. So those are the four. Knowing God? Mm. Okay. So last class we contrasted Uddhava and Maitreya. In this class, we're contrasting and comparing Uddhava and Vidura. So Uddhava feels, in text 14, Uddhava feels ecstasy after the Lord gives him affection and promises him entrance into his supreme abode. I feel ecstasy too, wouldn't you? Yeah. If Krishna showed you affection and promised you to go back to Godhead, he was sitting right in front of you. What do you say? Haribo! Everybody else is absorbed in something. Prabhu, would you feel ecstatic? Yes, yeah. All right. I hope so. And he was crying so much. Wouldn't you cry? Yes. Would you cry? If yes. Krishna was affectionate to you and said, now you can go back to Godhead? You would just pass out. She would just faint. Would you feel ecstatic? You're not. Yes, I would. <laughs> yes, okay, I, I would feel excited. Um, okay. There was, uh, when I was working in a government school, the woman who worked in the office with me used to play modern Christian songs a lot. And, uh, she was the only one in the school who knew that I'm a devotee. And one of the songs she would play was called I Can Only Imagine... And it was about this guy saying, what would I do if I saw Jesus? You know, would I fall to my knees? Would I get up and dance? Would I be stunned into silence? Would I say prayers? He's, so, if we actually saw Krishna and he showed us affection and said, I'm taking you home. Well, yes. Okay, in 15, Uddhava is satisfied with service. He doesn't want any other benediction, even liberation. But in 18, he says, I want to hear about you and your pastimes. So 
the liberated devotees, the pure devotees, they have desires. They don't, they're not desireless. They don't have, they're not desireless. There we go. They don't have desirelessness. They have desires, but their desires are all in relationship to service. They don't have personal desires. Why don't they have personal desires? Because they want to please Krishna. Yes. They want him to be. And because they're what? Because they're pure devotees. They don't have the pure devotees don't have desires because they're pure devotees. All right. No, because I don't have But why not? They don't have any sense of material scarcity, exactly. They feel completely what? Satisfied. Satisfied. Just like I just had lunch. And so if you came to me right now and said, would you like something to eat? I would say, no. Exception. Would there be an exception? (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That's a very, very good analogy. So the devotee is completely satisfied. But if it's Krishna Lila, they want it. So that's a very good analogy. Just like we eat a meal, we're full, we're satisfied, but if it's something we really like, somehow we'll find room in our stomach, isn't it? Right? You have to eat a big, big, big meal not to find room for something you like. So the devotees are completely, completely, completely satisfied. It's not... Please try to understand this. It's not that the pure devotees have no material desires because they're repressing or suppressing or denying or hating or they're averse or any of that stuff. They're not cold-hearted. They're not empty. They're not rocks. They're satisfied. And it's not like me. I'm satisfied after a meal and then I get hungry again later. They're permanently satisfied. But they have desires for things with Krishna Lila. Just like we're satisfied, but we'll still eat something sweet. (laughs) Usually it's a sweet that we'll still eat. Okay, so Uddhava brings up all these points about contradictions to the Lord. Right? Oh, yeah. Like Mother Kunti, Kunti. Yes, 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 yes. So why does he bring these up? He brings these up because Maitreya is also there. So many times we do that. Many times we'll ask a question in class for the benefit of somebody else. Right? Many times the great devotees also do this. They bring up something for the benefit of someone else. Not for themselves. So it says that Krishna spoke confidential knowledge only to Uddhava beyond what he spoke to Brahma. That's from text 19. And Vishnu Chagavati Thakur says this knowledge was not spoken by Sukadev nor given to Maitreya or to Vidura. So Vishnu Chagavati Thakur says this knowledge that Krishna spoke is not in the Bhagavatam. We have, of course, in the Bhagavatam what? The Uddhava Gita in the 11th canto. So we do have in the 11th canto what Krishna spoke to Uddhava 
But Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says this knowledge that was above the knowledge given to Brahma is not part of the Uddhava Gita. It's not in the Bhagavatam. He says Sukadeva Goswami didn't give it. It wasn't given to Vidura. It wasn't given to Maitreya. And Mahalakshmi is very sad because she wants to know it. She has this look on her face like, Oh no! Where can I get that? And Uddhava explains to Vidura that he left the Lord after getting this knowledge. So basically, if we look at things consecutively, the Lord told Uddhava, go to Badrikashram. Did Uddhava do that immediately? No. No, he followed the Lord. And there's Maitreya, also came at that time. So Uddhava followed the Lord, Maitreya also came. So there's Uddhava, Maitreya, and the Lord. And Uddhava... There's this exchange between the Lord and Uddhava in front of Maitreya, which affects Maitreya, right? And Uddhava, you know, has this ecstasy, and he asks the Lord these kind of about, uh, Mahalakshmi, could you move a little bit to your left? Because Govinda is all the way, just a little bit. There you go. Okay. Excellent. Is that better? So then he asks about these contradictions for the benefit of Maitreya. And after uh, this discussion with the Lord, then uh, Uddhava leaves. And he meets Vidura, talks to Vidura, spends the night, and then he goes to Bhadrakashram. So he does go to Bhadrakashram, but it's a little delayed. He doesn't do it immediately. Um, in text 21, Prabhupada says, A pure devotee of the Lord of the standard of Uddhava constantly associates with the Lord in the double perception of simultaneous separation and meeting. Um, and we'll talk about this some more with guru and disciple, but just focusing right now on Uddhava, that he felt that he would transgress etiquette by becoming Vidura's guru. Now, he does talk to Vidura. He does say some things to Vidura. We just read those, that chapter where Uddhava tells Vidura all about the different associates of the Lord, the different pastimes. But he didn't want to fully become the guru. He didn't want to stay there and fully become the guru to Vidura because he felt, you know, really... He's older. He, yeah, is older. He was also there. Whatever I heard, Maitreya also heard. So Uddhava was there for quite a while to hear the whole Uddhava Gita. So Uddhava and Maitreya were there for quite some time to hear the Uddhava Gita. And he said, Maitreya's heard everything that I've heard, and it's better if you hear from him because he's your age. Um, can you think of some personalities in the Bhagavatam who did act as gurus to older persons or more senior persons? Yes. Who was Prahlad Maharaj a guru too? Well, well, he was not guru, but he was preaching to his father. Oh, okay. Prahlad preaching to his father. Okay. Yeah, okay. Sukadev Goswami. Yeah. And to Vyasadev, he was preaching to his own father. And uh, Kapila preaching to his mother. Excellent. And? Hmm? Krishna, Krishna instructing Nandamaraj. Oh, very nice. I like that. Yes. Four Kumaras to Pritchamaraj. Four Kumaras to Of course, actually, they are older, but they're appearing like little boys. Yeah, very nice. Excellent. Ramaharshan Sutta, who was the son of Ramaharshan. So he was younger. And the 
Oh, the little boy, Teacher K2's dead son returning. So, obviously, it's not some sort of absolute rule that younger people can't become the gurus of older people. That's not an absolute rule. And Uddhava had, you know, he felt that way, but there was also something else going on as well. But anyway, he felt that way. If there's no senior, you can instruct. But Sugriva Goswami was in the presence of so many seniors. This was um, Shishupal's point to at the Rajasuya Yagya that how can we worship Krishna when there's so many people here who are senior to Krishna? That it's fine to worship Krishna, but not in the presence of seniors. So, but it's not an absolute thing. If it was an absolute thing, then juniors would never take the position, but they do sometimes. And, and sometimes, uh, well, we'll look at, at, when, at when that would happen. And Vishnu Chakrabadi Thakur says, the reason the Lord taught all this to, to Maitreya was so Maitreya could teach you and others. So, uh, Uddhava also felt that Maitreya was supposed to teach, that one of the reasons that Maitreya had received this instruction was he was supposed to take the role of teacher. And what instruction had Uddhava been given? To go to Radhikasha. And Vishnu Chakrabadi Thakur says, and this relates to what we talked about in the previous class, that there was no contrary instruction. So when Krishna told the gopis to go back, he was also indirectly telling them to stay. In fact, he had called them there with his flute. So there, was, there were two simultaneous instructions going on. Where Krishna is saying, stay and go. <laughs> but with Uddhava, there was only the instruction to go. So Uddhava had, Uddhava had an important message uh, Uddhava was supposed to give say, uh, knowledge, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says, that he was supposed to give knowledge to the sages at Badrikasham. He was supposed to give a message to Narayan, and he was supposed to give a message to the sages, whereas he was not told to instruct Vidura. So he felt that he had, he had a different order than Maitreya. So part of it was that Maitreya was older, but that wasn't the only thing. It wasn't, that wasn't the only thing that was going on. He felt that Krishna's order to him to go to Badrakasham, he'd already delayed by following the Lord and receiving instructions from the Lord, and now he needed to go and, and do his duty. Somebody has one? Yes? Um, but uh, also, if you see, Uddhava was more, like when you see the previous text, Uddhava was given more confidential knowledge, and Maitre, like in one of the verses of purports, it's explained that uh, although Maitreya was present there, he didn't perceive that knowledge. That's correct. So that means Uddhava is more eligible. And, uh, right? Yes, Uddhava is more eligible, but that was not knowledge meant for Vidura. So Maitreya was perfectly competent to teach Vidura. The knowledge that Uddhava had was not meant for Vidura. Okay. It evidently wasn't meant for us either because it's not in the Bhagavatam. <laughs> Because Sukadeva Goswami didn't teach it either. Or if it's meant for us, it's coming to us through somebody else. Maybe it's coming to us through Rupa Goswami or something. But it's not coming to us through Uddhava. Very good point. Uddhava is called the best devotee of the time. So, that, in other words, at that time on the planet, he was the best devotee. 
It reminds me of uh, when I was young and studying in the in the Jewish Theological Seminary, and in the Bible it says that Noah was the best devotee of his time. And the rabbis would always emphasize of his time. It didn't mean that he was the best devotee, but it meant he was the best devotee of his time. Of that at that time. You have to remember most most of the Lord's associates had already departed at this time. And uh, in text 32, it's explained that to complete the transcendental knowledge of Bhagavad Gita, the Lord instructed Uddhava. The Lord wanted Uddhava to fulfill his mission and disseminate knowledge which he had not spoken even in the Bhagavad Gita. But he was to do this at Bhadrak Ashram, not to Vidura. So that knowledge is in the Bhagavatam, but later. So first we get the knowledge that Maitreya can impart to Vidura, and later we're going to get what Krishna told Uddhava, but not everything. Not everything. Not everything. And we do find that the Uddhava Gita expands on the Bhagavad Gita. We most, we most definitely find that. It takes the same themes as the Bhagavad Gita and expands on them. And what's also nice about the Uddhava Gita is it's in a different context than the Bhagavad Gita. Yes, especially the Anomaly of the Bhagavad Yes. And it's very good to have the same knowledge in two different contexts because it helps for us to separate the context from the knowledge. Right? As I've made the point in other places, when Krishna says to Arjuna, get up and fight, that's not an instruction for everybody. Can you imagine, right, if all we were ever supposed to do was stand up and fight 24 hours a day? So that's obviously not, that's a contextual instruction. So the same spiritual knowledge given in a different context helps us to separate the details from the principles, which is what you asked about the other day. And that's one way we can do that is we see the same non-contextual knowledge presented in different contexts. That's one way to tease out the difference between details and principles. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? You, you all follow that. If you have eternal principles that are taught in all different situations, that helps you to separate the instructions that are for the situations from the instructions that are not dependent on situations. You know, go to Badrik Ashram is not an eternal instruction for all of us. Just like stand up and fight is not an eternal instruction for all of us. But the principle of obedience to the Lord is. Okay, so we've looked at Uddhava, and now, now we're going to contrast Uddhava to Vidura. Um, the verse about Vidura mostly later in the chapter. And he was disturbed hearing from Uddhava how the Yadras were destroyed and how the Lord left, but he pacified himself with transcendental knowledge. So it was also interesting how Uddhava didn't just describe, because Vidura asked, how are, they, how are these people doing? How are these people? And Uddhava didn't just say how they're doing right now, which is what I might do. If you said, how is somebody so-and-so doing? I would describe how they're doing the last thing they were doing. But Uddhava described from the beginning. He described from Krishna's appearance. And, 
and all of the Leelas, and then he also described the disappearance of the Yadus and Krishna's disappearance. So that helped Vidura to pacify his mind. That he could he remembered all the Leelas. And then Vidura addressed Uddhava with great respect. That's text twenty-four. Uh, he addressed Uddhava with great respect as someone who can control the Lord, even though Uddhava was younger than Vidura. And in this way, Vidura showed that advancement in bhakti is the criteria, not age, not physical age. By the way, in ISKCON, do we have many instances of gurus initiating people who are older than them? There are. Many, yeah, many. I remember once in North Carolina, um, I was in initiation where Bir Krishna Maharaj was initiating an elderly Indian man who'd been chanting the whole Bhagavad Gita every day since he was a little boy. You know, and I was thinking that on many levels the disciple was more qualified than the guru. You know, but there, there's a principle of, of realization in bhakti that's the main principle. Um, so this is one of our contrasts that Uddhava's thinking Vidura is more respectable because he's older and Vidura is thinking Uddhava is more respectable because he's more advanced in bhakti so both of them are showing each of them are showing respect to each other and they were both absorbed in separation and it says that they both factually saw the form of the Lord everywhere in every aspect of the universe. Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says that Vidura was devastated when Uddhava left for Badrakashram. What is that? That's Vishnu Chakravati Thakur in text 33, 34, 35. And text 35, Vidura was overwhelmed by the ecstasy of love when he understood that Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, had remembered him at the last moment. So Uddhava was absorbed in ecstasy. When was Uddhava absorbed in ecstasy? In verse 19. Yes, when? What happened? When was Uddhava... What, what situation made Uddhava be in ecstasy? Affection. The affection and... And in verse 14. And the blessing. Affirmation of what? Of going back to God. So Uddhava was in ecstasy at 14 where the Lord showed him affection and said he'd go back to Godhead. And Vidur was in ecstasy in verse 35 when he was remembered by Lord Krishna. Yeah, when, when Uddhava said to him when he was leaving the Lord remembered you. So maybe Uddhava was there right at the time the Lord was leaving. You know, if, if you hear that, you know, as your father was dying, he said your name. Right? We all like that. I mean, materially. We like that. Spiritually, we shouldn't be so happy about that. There was something Krishna says in Yes, one of the texts. That uh, you have this association based on you know the sacrifice you made. I'm sorry. See, you have this association based on the sacrifice you made. Yes. 
to Maitreya? I think it's Uddhava. I think it was Uddhava. That was in the previous section about Uddhava being a Vasu. That was to Uddhava. So where Krishna says to Uddhava, because you've made sacrifices as a Vasu, therefore you have my association, and therefore you're going back to God. So both Vidura and Uddhava get in ecstasy when they know that the Lord, what? Remembers them. Has affection for them. Has affection for them. So this is being loved. Love goes both ways. We love the Lord, the love, Lord, Lord, the Lord. The Lord loves us. So the devotee also feels affection and ecstasy at being loved by the Lord. So both Vidura and Uddhava feel ecstasy knowing, oh, the Lord loves me, the Lord cares about me, the Lord is remembering me. Okay, let's look at, we've, now we've looked at Uddhava and Vidura, now we're going to look at the guru-disciple relationship. Um, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says in reference to text 24, a younger person superior in bhakti should be the guru for someone elder. Vidura's words are the proof of this. So Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says, Vidura's respect to Uddhava in text 24 shows that an older person should be willing to become the disciple of somebody younger who's more advanced in bhakti. And he goes on to say for text 25, one should accept a guru without material considerations of higher and lower. So one is coming from the point of view of the guru and one is coming from the point of view of the disciple. So if you're a disciple or a prospective disciple, you shouldn't be choosing a guru based on something material. Age or, you know, caste or something like that. You choose a guru based on spiritual realization. If you're the guru, then you want to be very careful not to take a position um, of pride. Because Prabhupada says in 26, the rule is that in the presence of a higher personality, one should not be very eager to impart instructions, even if one is competent and well-versed. So Uddhava decided to send an elderly person like Vidura to Maitreya, another elderly person. One should not be eager to become a spiritual master cheaply for the sake of profit and fame, but should become a spiritual master only for the service of the Lord. The Lord never tolerates the impertinence of Maryada Vatikrama. One should never pass over the honor due to an elderly spiritual master in the interest of one's own personal gain and fame. Impertinence on the part of the pseudo-spiritual master is very risky to progressive spiritual realization. So you notice that Prabhupada's not saying you should never be a guru if there's elderly persons there. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that you shouldn't be proud. You shouldn't think, you know, I'm more competent, I'm more realized. He's saying you shouldn't be eager. You shouldn't be proud and you shouldn't be eager. I mean, Prabhupada would ask his disciples to preach in his presence. Uh, 
Yes. How do we balance that? Well, but Jiva Goswami, actually his mood was that he was trying to defend his superiors. So you have both instructions are there. That his motive was good, but Rupa and Sanatan also wanted to set an example. It's, you know, it, I think it's like what we talked about before about disobedience. That one can be disobeying the Lord out of love, but in general, such behavior is not encouraged. Because otherwise, otherwise people are going to be going around disobeying and saying, well, you know, I have a right to be disobedient. So it's the same thing. That generally speaking, one shouldn't take a position like that. And I mean, Prabhupada goes on to say here in the Purport to 31, he says the specific qualification for becoming the representative of the Lord is to be unaffected by the material modes of nature. The highest qualification of a person in the material world is to be a brahmana. But since a brahmana is in the mode of goodness, to be a brahmana is not sufficient for becoming a representative of the Lord. One has to transcend the mode of goodness also. That is the primary qualification for being one with the Lord. Such a devotee of the Lord is never affected by material strength, intelligence, or even renunciation. Such a devotee of the Lord can withstand all onslaughts of material nature, and therefore he is known as Goswami. Only such Goswamis can penetrate the mysteries of the Lord's transcendental loving relationships. In verse 32, Prabhupada said, The Lord authorized Uddhava to speak on his behalf. Unless one has such authorization, one cannot understand or preach the devotional service of the Lord. Then he says, anyone can become a confidential devotee like Uddhava and be a guru. We can only understand the message of the Lord through a confidential devotee. Uh, looking at text 31, Vishnu Chagavati Thakur says, This verse describes Uddhava's qualifications as a replica of the Lord. Uddhava is not all at all, Anu, less than me, because Yad, he is not disturbed by the gunas like sattva. There are many jivan muktas in this world who are undisturbed by the gunas. Are they not also equal to the Lord? That is true. Therefore, the following is the real meaning. He is not at all pained by spiritual qualities of strength, intelligence, knowledge, and renunciation. This means he has the ability to control their effects. This is similar to saying that a person has control over the impulse of lust or is not pained by lust. It has already been said that he was chief among the best of the groups of warriors among all the Yadus. Nowhere is there seen such strength as his. Similarly, he has other qualities like intelligence, which are extraordinary. He is addressed as Prabhu because, like the Lord, he has conquered over Maya. So the point is that a guru should be authorized by the Lord and should be above the modes of material nature. How is the guru authorized by the Lord if the Lord is not here saying you? Park that for two minutes. So that, that's that's the basic qualification. At the same time, there's some idea of material etiquette. It's it's sort of a a quandary in general that the great self-realized souls don't really need to follow material etiquette at all. It's irrelevant for them, and yet they need to follow some material etiquette for people in general. And I see that what was going on with Rupa Sanatana and Jiva. 
that it was really just transcendental affection between Jiva and his and Rupa his uncles. But at the same time, it could be understood as a breach of etiquette. And there, there's a lot of um, leelas of the Lord like that, the Lord and his <coughs> devotees. I mean, like Ram sending Sita to the forest is one of those where, you know, he did that to set a mundane example. So sometimes the devotees may deal harshly or the Lord may deal harshly or with Chotaharidas. You know, you have these very harsh... I think, you know, what happened to Jiva Goswami, Chotaharidas, and Sita, these are very, very harsh examples. But that of Sita, one can say is a social stigma. Yeah, but she was faultless, and he'd already, she'd already proved that she was faultless. So th- there was no reason that Ram had to be concerned about the views of one low-class man when Sita had already proved herself in front of so many thousands of witnesses. You know, so on, on one level it wasn't really necessary. And Chota Haridas didn't really do anything wrong at all. So, you know, these are examples, neither did Jiva. So these are all examples of people, they, they really didn't do anything wrong. And they're in a transcendental position. But sometimes the devotees and the Lord show a very, very harsh example. So that we'll at least do something. You know, we'll at least follow something. Even though on another platform there's no fault. How does one authorized by the Lord? Well, you tell me. How is one authorized by the Lord? How is Prabhupada authorized by Krishna? By the receiving succession. No. And it was interesting because Bhakti Sananta did not say to Prabhupada, as far as we know, you know, initiate disciples. At least Prabhupada never says that. He just told him, go preach. Yeah. That means. And he said that he would do it to his god brother, to Prabhupada's god brothers. He said he will do it, going to the West and preaching and having the chanting of the Holy Name spread all around. So this is being a spiritual master. Yes. All right, so why did Uddhava send Vidura to Maitreya, would you say? <coughs> okay, because that was Maitreya's job. That was his service. Other reasons. Maitreya will learn when you teach when you something you learn it. it will be good for my trail. Excellent. Definitely. That was the reason. What's some other reasons? Because Vidura was senior. Now that's the reason Uddhava gave. Yes. And the Lord also had a plan for Vidura liberation so that Vidura hears from Maitreya and then goes. That was Vidura, the pl- Lord's plan for Vidura. Why else? Uh, because Uddhava was in total ecstasy. He was not in the mood of teaching again, and he had received the instruction to go to Madhavi, so he was focused on the Lord's instruction. He was focused on the Lord's instruction, yes. yes. And he also had a little hard time instructing Vidura. Both Uddhava and Vidura knew the Lord personally. They were both involved in the Lord's pastimes personally, so it was a little, the ecstasy was a little much for him. But he had his instructions to preach to the sages. Okay. This, yes. So it's, it's multifaceted. You know, I think if we just look at it and say, oh, a junior should never preach in the presence of an elder, we're not looking at the whole situation. All right, let's look at Krishna's behavior. So, 
going to look at the contradictions here. So what contradictions did Uddhava bring out? He was consulting Uddhava when Jarasandha attacked. Okay, and what's, how, does that, how does that a contradiction? Because... He's always Yeah. It's the main thing. So he's consulting Uddhava, but he knows everything. Okay, what's another contradiction you brought up? This is contradiction between the Lord and the Lord. The Lord and the Lord. The Lord, is the Lord and the Lord. The Lord has nothing to do, but he loves the Lord. Okay. Oh, Nothing to do, but he lifts over now. Takes birth and is unborn. Is that mentioned in 16 and 17? Yeah. 16. This is 16. 16. Okay. Unborn. Oh, Enjoys household, although he's at Marama. He's at Parama, and yet he enjoys with women. Yeah. Flees in fear of the enemy, although he's the controller of time. Renouncing for your life. What? Renouncing for your life. Was that mentioned in 1617? No. No, no. Okay. And you mentioned, um, where also these contradictions brought out? Queen Kunti. What contradictions does she bring out? Actually, a lot of these, yeah, a lot of these are the same. She, this is in 1830. She says, you work although you are inactive, which is very similar to you lift Govardhan although you have no work to do. You take birth or you, although you are the vital force in the unborn, same. You yourself descend among animals, men, sages, and aquatics. Verily, this is bewildering. Uh, any other place where these contradictions in Krishna are mentioned? What's a big main place? Thick. Okay, Kunti also says that. So here, Uddhava saying, yeah, you run from the enemy, although you're the controller of time. And Kunti says, you run from Madhusoda, although your fear is afraid of you. So very similar. So these are very similar. Some of them are practically identical to what Kunti says. Where else in the Shastra do we have a list of contradictions? In Sri Sopanishad. Far and close. What else is in Ishopanishad? Walks and doesn't walk. Far and yet near. Within and outside. Does it say legs and no legs? 
And then there's this wonderful verse in the Bhagavad Gita. What are contradictions mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita? So I, I always like to tell this story. We have this verse, Maya Tatam Midam Sarvam Jagadavyakta Mortina Matstani Sarvabhutani Nachaham Te Surasya. By me in my unmanifested world form, this entire universe is pervaded. All beings are in me, but I am not in them. So uh, every year, actually about twice a year, I would teach this verse to the Gurukul students because we would do 48 main verses and uh, we would study one verse, at least one verse a week. So when we studied that verse, one, one time we studied that verse, so then we had a, a class break and I heard some of the children, six, seven-year-old children, saying, Mother Armila doesn't understand the philosophy of Krishna consciousness. <laughs> she said, all beings are in Krishna, but Krishna is not in them. And that's wrong. They were having this whole discussion. They said, Krishna is in everyone. They said, Krishna is in our heart. Krishna is in every atom. This, she taught us wrong philosophy. It was really cute. It's little little kids. So, and then what does Krishna say in the next verse? He said, yet everything that is created does not rest in me. So he says, all beings are in me, but I am not in them. And the next verse he says, but everything that is created does not rest in me. Behold my mystic power. And of course then, uh, other places in the Bhagavad Gita, later on Krishna says that he's in everyone's heart. So this is... Everything's in me, but it's not in me. I'm not in anything, but I'm in everything. Yes, definitely a chincha <laughs> for my little brain. So this is Krishna's giving this contradiction uh, like that. See any other contradictions? Well, I always like the one in the Brahma Smita. It's not exactly a contradiction, but it's sort of. That Krishna is in every atom and all the universes are inside Krishna. Now, to try, you couldn't paint a picture of this. You, know, you couldn't paint a picture. It can try. So, if you think about, okay, you know, here's a piece of wood, it's full of atoms. So in each of these atoms, there's Krishna. So you, you can get that picture, right? That's yeah. pretty easy. Yeah. Okay, then in each of those Krishnas, there's the whole universe, including this piece of wood. <laughs> so how is this piece of wood inside Krishna, and Krishna's inside the piece of wood? <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. So Mother Yasoda didn't see a picture of herself she didn't see a reflection of herself. She didn't see a video of herself. She actually saw herself. And how could she be seeing herself? Oh, from another perspective. Yes, how is that? As when a soul comes out from the body. Yeah, but she wasn't just seeing a dead body. <laughs> well, I, there are persons who come out of the body and they don't see a dead body, but they see the body. She wasn't seeing a body. <laughs> She was seeing herself. Yes. There you go. That's your answer. All right. Mystical. We can't explain it.
I know um, Ridan Nandamar says frequently, he says, don't play the inconceivable card too often. We don't want to have this, oh, it's inconceivable, it's inconceivable, it's inconceivable. But these things are pretty inconceivable. One can understand with love. They're inconceivable with a human brain in Kali Yuga. Even if you've got an Einstein brain, still pretty inconceivable. But it's understandable to some extent with love. Of course, the devotees don't exactly try to understand everything about Krishna. Um, I remember once reading how even materially that love dies if you think you've understood everything about the other person. That part of what keeps love alive is a sense of mystery and adventure that you're still learning something about each other. And so Krishna is also like that. We, we, never, we never will say, I know everything about Krishna. I understand everything about Krishna. Even Krishna doesn't understand everything about himself. Well, he's always expanding. Right? And he doesn't understand how Radharani loves him. He can't figure it out. I love it's always expanding as he, well. He's, he's perpetually trying to figure that out. And you might say, well, what kind of an all-knowing God is this? He knows everything that exists and he is still expanding himself. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. This person on Facebook that was driving me nuts with this dozens of messages every day. It actually started with the question of if God knows the future, does he know what we're going to do? And the answer is... Yes. No. No, because we have free will. He does not know what we're going to do. That's why he says, when are you going to come? He may be able to make a good guess about what we're going to do. But no, he does know what we're going to do. Part of what's exciting to Krishna about us is that we're alive. Okay, look guys. Do you sometimes find a little bug interesting? Have you ever found a little bug interesting? Yes. Why? Because I don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. Which direction he's going to take. Exactly. But I understood when Krishna showed his universal form to Arjuna, you know, he was showing everything because he says, I am the time. Okay, Krishna knows the future now, and he knows the future a minute from now. Krishna constantly knows the future, but the future is constantly changing. And he gives a choice to Arjuna. No, you can choose. The future is constantly changing. So Krishna always knows the future as it is changing by our choices. And also he shows the time feature, but it's like he's asking Arjuna if you want to be the instrument or not, and otherwise yeah. someone else... Well, some things in the future are set. Yeah. Certain things are set. Certain things, it's what Krishna specifically wants certain things to happen, and he's going to make sure they happen. And, and Krishna is very clever that he can get things to happen no matter what we choose. <laughs> And I think of this like water is going to go to the ocean regardless of the obstacles. If it needs to become a waterfall, it will do it. If there's a huge obstacle, it will become a waterfall. Or it will go underground. 
Water will go underground, it will flow over a cliff, it will flow around rocks, but the water will get to the sea. And it will get to the sea without interfering with whatever's in the way, or may interfere with them over time. So Krishna will do what he wants to do, regardless of our choices. That Krishna somehow interweaves our choices into his general plan. And he's, he's really clever at that. But no, he doesn't know what we're going to do. One of the main reasons that life is so fascinating to us, anything that's alive is very, very interesting. Yes? Have you noticed that? That living things are much more interesting than dead things? <laughs> and part of the way the media seeks to attract us is by movement and unpredictability. If there were TV shows and movies where there was just one camera the whole time and very little movement and very little unpredictability, guess how fast you'd become bored? Very, very, very fast. When I was a little girl, that's what TV was like. It was all live. When I was a little kid, TV was all black and white. It was all live. And it was just, you know, one stable camera. And there wasn't a whole lot going on. You know, you really weren't going to watch television all day. It just wasn't that interesting. So, and, and one of the ways, I, I read some books about, uh, what was it called, The Plug-In Drug and Endangered Minds, about how the media uh, affects our, changes our brains and how it attracts us. And one reason it does it is by constant movement. Movement of camera angles, you know, constantly shifting scenes and unpredictability. And that holds our interest. Um, if any of you ever teach, one of the main ways you hold people's attention is to create mystery and unpredictability. If everybody knows exactly what you're going to say and when you're going to say it, nobody's going to be interested in your class. If you create mystery and unpredictability, people will be interested even in what would otherwise be very, very boring things. Yes. By finding the ever freshness in the absolute truth. Looking for novelty by changing the instruction is ego. Every Muni wants to have something new. And it's, it's a big, 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 big problem. One time um, in the temple community I was living, there was some disturbance by another Vaishnav group that was coming into the community. They were creating a lot of politics and disturbance. And so our GBC said to me, I want you to go to their meeting, to their program, and let me know what's going on. So I went, and the person speaking was telling all these leelas that I'd never heard before anywhere. And I asked him over and over again, I hope politely, although politeness is not my strong suit, but I asked, you know, I thought I tried to be polite, Oh, what's the source of these? I never got an answer in the three hours. 
And the next day, uh, my godbrother Garuda Prabhu went, and he had this, he had the same experience, and he said, finally, at at the end of the three hours, the devotee said, oh, every year I go in Vraj and I go to the different villages, and I try to hear new pastimes, so I can come and tell the devotees pastimes they haven't heard before. And I thought this is very dangerous just going around hearing something from the villagers, who knows if it's bona fide or not, just because you have this hunger to hear something new. And and we see this, you know, just being very frank, that I see people who start their own movements or their own this or their own that with something new and different. And they often criticize the, you know, they'll, they'll end up criticizing Prabhupada. You follow? You know, because they have to present something new. So that's just ego, that I have to present something new and different. But we should... There's novelty in Krishna's Leela itself. Because after all, our thirst for novelty comes from... Krishna. Krishna. Anurag. Anurag. So there's new, when they meet each other, but then Krishna is like... Yes. Krishna always feels his pastimes are new. He gets surprised by his pastimes. Look, he knows the future as it's always changing. I didn't say he doesn't know the future. I says Krishna knows the future, but he doesn't know what we will choose. He didn't say he doesn't know the future. Krishna knows the future, but he does. That doesn't mean that he knows what choices we're going to make. Krishna knows the future as it exists in this moment, with the choices we've already made. Uh, my evidence for this is a conversation in the Chaitanya Bhagavat between Lord Chaitanya and Srivas Thakur. Can you tell us? No, because I have other things to do. Um, the guru being tree college, I, I don't know of where it's stated that that's an absolute requirement for a guru. The requirement for guru is strotriyam brahmanishtam, not tree college. Some gurus are tree college and some are not. And any jiva knows only what Krishna reveals to them. I don't think there's any jiva who knows everything that Krishna knows. Because Krishna says to Arjuna, many, many lives you and I have passed, I remember all of them, but you do not, O chastiser of the enemy. And Prabhupada says there in the purport, this is the difference between even a liberated soul like Arjuna and God. Even Yamaraj. Yamaraj is Yamaraj for this universe. He knows the, about the human beings in this universe. He doesn't know about all the ants and the germs, and he doesn't know about other universes and... Even Narada Muni doesn't know everything about everything. So there's nobody know, has the knowledge that God has. But no, God knows the future. I'm not saying he doesn't know the future. I'm saying that the future is in flux. It's changing according to our choices. Okay, I want to talk about, or actually I don't want to talk about, but I have to talk about Krishna's disappearance. which is described in 2930 and 33 and 34. So when Krishna descends, all the other forms descend with him, 
and when he returns, they all go back to their own abode. And verse 29, it says, he leaves the universal form behind when he departs. But the Lord doesn't have a material form. So what you were saying about you sort of seeing her body, that's assuming she would have a material form. But neither the Lord nor his associates have material, nor his eternal associates have material forms. So he's not leaving behind a material form. He can't give up his body. His body is himself. It's not like me. My body is like a chudder. Krishna's body isn't like a chudder. It's, it's himself. Um... Prabhupada said that Krishna wanted his best devotee Uddhava to preach his message when he disappeared. And that um, in text 32, Vishnu Chakravati Thakura said that the Lord had gone many places, but he hadn't gone to Badrakashram. So he wanted Uddhava to go there, where the Lord hadn't gone. That Uddhava particularly had a message for the deity of Narayan and the devotees of Badrakashram about the disappearance of Krishna and the Yadavas. In text 33 it says, the Lord is in the spiritual world as Bhagavan and the mature world as Paramatma. Also that the Lord's pastimes are eternal. You can't really say when they begin and when they end. To talk about Krishna's disappearance, you know, it's, it doesn't end. Just like uh, with the 24-hour kirtan here, you notice they only chant the Hare Krishna mantra. You've all noticed that? That's because it's considered to be a kirtan that never ends. Now, of course, you can say they're not having the kirtan during Mangalartik, they're not having the kirtan during Bhagavatam class, because those are also kirtan. So you could say, well, the Bhagavatam class breaks it up. And so when the, after the Bhagavatam class, they should start again with the Panchatattva mantra. So, but they don't, they just start with Hare Krishna. Because it's considered that it's never ending. So in the same way, the Lord's uh, pastimes never really end although it looks like they end they're not really ending because they're eternal and only the devotees really know what's that verse in the Bhagavad Gita? Mm-hmm. only the devotees actually understand Krishna's disappearance okay even though all those points are true about Krishna's disappearance still when Krishna disappears the devotees feel separation And how do they get solace? What is that? Remembering. Remembering. And talking about the Lord. What Vidura and Uddhava are doing, you know, that's their only solace. I mean, again, even materially, if your friend or family member dies, you feel some solace by talking about them and remembering them. So what to speak of for the Lord? And... um, in verse 20, it says, the only way to understand the chapter sloka of the Bhagavatam is to feel separation from the Lord. This is our main method. Usually we're not feeling separation from the Lord, are we? Most of us, as conditioned souls, are just, yeah, Krishna's not here, oh well, I hope he comes around sometime, be nice to see him. When we are in a difficulty, sometimes we feel something, mm. a reflection of that. So sometimes we feel some separation, but... Really, we should be feeling intense separation at every moment. Why aren't I with my Lord? Why aren't I with my Lord? And um, we talked about how Uddhava was having the simultaneous meeting and separation. Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says in text 21, 
How will you live in pain and separation? At every moment I experience joy from having met him and sorrow from separation. Now one way to be in Krishna's presence always is to follow his instructions. So Uddhava felt also solace from going to Badrakashram because Krishna had told him to go to Badrakashram and he hadn't given him any contrary indication as was true, say, with the gopis or with Gadadhar Pandit. And following the Lord's order, feeling the Lord's presence, preaching to the devotees. I mean, here when we're talking about Krishna, we don't feel separation from Krishna because we're talking about him. Mm -hmm. And we feel that he's with us, isn't it? Yeah. I see the five guru Vapu and Vani, right? Hmm? Vapu and Vani. Vapu and Vani, yes. That, that's nicely explained in the fourth canto with the story of King Malayadwaj and uh, Vidarbi, how that if you follow the instructions of Guru, then you're always in the presence of Guru. And, and we feel that. I mean, practically we feel it. Yes, we've all experienced that. That when, when, we're, when we're following Prabhupada's instructions, we feel like we're with him. When we're following Krishna's instructions, we feel like we're with him. Right? Just natural, you know. I was so happy in, in Russia, Mahadrudi Prabhu gave me instructions how to distribute Prabhupada's books at the end of Bhagavatam classes. And I just, I just felt that I was with Srila Prabhupada. As soon as I was distributing his books, I thought, yes, this pleases Prabhupada, I'm with him, you know. Whenever, whenever we're doing that, whenever we're talking about Krishna, whenever we're serving him, whenever we're serving the orders of the Guru, then we don't feel that. We feel that joy that I'm with Krishna. Purport to text 27 says, The word used here for Krishna is Vishramurti. Both Uddhava and Vidura were in great affliction because of Lord Krishna's departure. And the more they discussed the transcendental name, fame, and qualities of the Lord, the more the picture of the Lord became visible to them everywhere. Such visualization of the transcendental form of the Lord is neither false nor imaginary, but is factual, absolute truth. When the Lord is perceived as Vishramurti, it is not that he loses his personality or transcendental eternal form, but he becomes visible in the same form everywhere. All right, so why don't we talk about Krishna more? Because we don't feel... His presence. Separation. We don't feel separation. Right, you were telling me how this friend of yours, her son just got hit by a train and killed in a terrible accident. So, I'm sure the family is just thinking about him all the time. And they probably weren't thinking about him all the time a week ago. Okay? Can you all, we all try to understand this? Let's think about somebody you love who's still alive. Okay, think about someone you love who's still alive on this planet. I'm sure you weren't thinking about them 10 minutes ago. However, if they died right now, you'd be thinking about them all the time. All the time. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. Why? Because you feel separation from them. So right now, we're feeling, yes, I love this person. They may not be here, but I know they're alive and well someplace else. But if I just got a phone call, so-and-so has just gotten hit by a train, 
then I'd be thinking of them constantly. In fact, I'd be thinking of them so much, I probably wouldn't be able to sit here and teach anymore. Does that make sense to everybody? So people ask all the time, how could I think of Krishna more? How can I remember Krishna more? <laughs> a lot of it is having a sense of separation, which is only relieved by talking about Krishna, remembering Krishna. And uh, it's interesting, I just, Sachin Endermarsh has a regular newsletter, and uh, I don't know if I just got it yesterday, probably not, I'm so behind on anything that has to do with the internet, but I, I looked at it yesterday, and he was talking about chanting, and he was saying that in chanting, sometimes there's feelings of dryness, and that Krishna's watching, what do we do? Where do we go when we feel dry? Do we go to him for shelter when we feel dry? Or do we just say, oh, I feel dry, let me just go do something else? So if in our feelings that Krishna is absent, do we try to relieve those feelings by talking about him or do we or chanting his name or do we try to relieve those feelings with something else? Where are we going for shelter? So I thought that was very interesting. All right, then text, uh, one other just sort of, um, those are all the main things I wanted to discuss, but just one little note that we're going to end on here is um, text 35. So in text 35, we read about Vidura crying. Of course, that's also mentioned in the beginning of the chapter with Uddhava crying, but here in text 35, um, Prabhupada talks about the importance of crying. And of course, in Nectar Devotion, Prabhupada says, in other words, one should learn how to cry for the Lord. One should learn this simple technique and should be very eager and actually cry to become engaged in some particular type of service. This is called loyam, and such tears are the price for the highest perfection. Now when Prabhupada says one should learn this technique, I don't think he's talking about an acting technique, you know, because actors learn how to cry. Yes. I don't think that's what he's talking about. You think that's what he's talking about? No. When he calls it a technique, he uses the word technique. I remember the late Ramachandra Swami, he was practicing crying, and he would just put himself in the situation and just cry, cry. And he said, it's, it's like a sadhana, you know, you feel separation and you cry for the Lord, and by practice you will, you will experience this sadness and this. He was doing that. Porter Yeah. Yeah, I remember him talking about that. I remember him in class where he talked about that. And Govinda Swami said, you're going to cry in school. He was also teaching his disciples to feel this separation. Now, of course, as conditioned souls, we actually try not to feel like that. Don't we? Yes. We're afraid of being a sahajya, and what else? We want to be equipoised. We're here because we, we want to forget Krishna. Yeah. And we are afraid that you are afraid that people judge us as weak. People would judge us as weak. Yes. Crying is particularly seen as something weak. In most cultures, it's seen only for, you know, sentimental women. Men aren't supposed to cry. Or we may be afraid of sadhya, you know, 
as we said, yeah, we may, we may be afraid that we'll be coming a sadhya. I can't have any emotion for Krishna, otherwise I'll be a sadhya. We're afraid that Krishna sends so, too much purification. <laughs> 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 too much. Too much, too much crying. I don't find this technique that you say. I quoted Nectar of Devotion. Oh, Nectar of Devotion. Page 83. And the Nectar of Devotion. The Prabhupada also talks about it here. But I think that Sky Harris will, you know, vanish. Yes. Because when the child cries, there's attention to the woman. Yes, that's right. So in this particular chapter. When one cries, Yes. Right, what Prabhupada says here. In text 35, he says that um, this crying is the last word in the progressive path of devotional service. One who can cry for the Lord in love is certainly <coughs> successful in the line of devotional service. Yeah. Learning this technique is mentioned in the Nectar Devotion. Yeah. So, can't we also see, like, very quickly, devotees saying, Oh, don't laugh, don't laugh, you know, even sometimes. Oh, my goodness, that's what Ramachandra Puri said. <laughs> To Madhavindapuri, right? Madhavindapuri was saying, I haven't attained Mathura, and Ramachandapuri says, Ramabhuta Prasanatmana Sochati Panchati. <laughs> Why are you lamenting? And Madhavindapuri said, Get this fool out of my room while I am dying. Now, of course, Srila Prabhupada would not like it if we all of us sat in the temple room crying. So this comes back to the idea that. Something may be good, but we have to be careful about what example that we set. But it is important to meditate on things with Krishna that cause us to feel separation and crying. It's important to be able to do that. Prabhupada said one should learn this simple technique. And he well, called it a simple right, technique. The Lord in love is certainly successful. Yes, and Prabhupada called it a simple technique. Okay, so our assignment for today is go home and cry. <laughs> Just not publicly now. Um, of course, sometimes we'll make cry publicly also. But the idea is, is that we should really be feeling that separation from Krishna. Prabhupada also talks about how the, ext- the ecstatic symptoms become internalized. Prabhupada wasn't walking around physically crying all the time. Sometimes. Sometimes. It's sometimes difficult to recognize and you cry for yourself. My own conclusion on this is if you can cry for Krishna, that's good. Anyhow. <laughs> and that's from the verse in the Brahma Samhita Yam Krota Kama Sahaja Pranayati Bhitti Vatsaya Moha Guru Gorva Sevi Bhavai Sam Chinchatasam Satvisim Tanamaparete. Any time we can evoke some emotion in relation to Krishna, even if it's 90% selfish, it's something. And as we discussed the other day, Krishna takes a little something and magnifies it. He takes, oh, you've done a little something and I will give you a lot. And the main thing we are supposed to do is have some emotion and desire for Krishna. That's the main thing. 
That's the thing. <laughs> That's what we're trying to do. So even if your emotion for Krishna is very self-centered, and even if your emotion for Krishna is very materialistically entangled, that Krishna's involved is a good start. Krishna liberated Putana. Whoa. So, <laughs> not that we should all imitate Putana, but the point is, Krishna liberated Putana. Some emotion. She had a very strong emotion in relationship to Krishna. Some emotion. If it's in relationship to Krishna, Krishna will purify it. If we're just neutral and we contact Krishna, where will we go? Brahma. Brahma Jyoti. We studied that previously. All right. Uh, I'm pretty much done. If anyone has any final questions, discussions, in the rest of the time, um, if any of you have to leave now, uh, thank you very much for coming. I hope that you can uh, get something nice out of this section of the Bhagavatam and that you will please excuse all of my numerous faults of presentation. Yes? presentation is as Oh, hi, Krishna. Yes? In the text 25, yes. Vidur was very well interested to know the Gyanam Param as it is expressed in Sanskrit. And uh, it has been translated as Atmogan. Yes. And Prabhupada also, uh, in the past, said of the last life, he tells the Atmogan is very much necessary for every. Thank you. Absolutely, yes. Text twenty five. What is the possible content of that Atmogyam? Jivara Swapaya Krishna Nichidasha. And beyond that are specific Swarup. Real Atmagyan is knowing is learning our Swarup. Who am I? Am I a little blue flower in Lalita's hair? Am I a cow running in the pasturing ground? I'm a cowherd boy with a stick. Who am I? Ultimately, that's Atmagan. I have one Yes. The is on the from the on the discussion that uh, the end, before they take the remnant, it was all far from Krishna. Yes, yes. So, uh, I don't know. The, the intoxication was part of what they made it all for? The what was part of intoxication. Oh, what, did they offer the intoxication? But that wasn't taken by the Brahmanas. It said that before they offered anything to the Brahmanas, they offered it to Krishna. But the intoxicants was taken by the Kshatriyas, not by the Brahmanas. Good point. That was a very thoughtful question. Anything else anybody would like to bring up on anything in these four chapters? There are people 
who are very emotional sentimentally and there are people who are running after knowledge so they are more awe and reverence. So the people who have awe and reverence won't get money to become emotional. Every soul has an emotional relationship with God. In this particular lifetime, materially speaking, some of us are more emotional than others. If we are particularly emotional people in this lifetime, that gives us an advantage and a disadvantage in bhakti. The disadvantage it gives us in bhakti is that material emotions cloud our intelligence. Material emotions make it more difficult to control our senses. Material emotions make it more likely we're going to offend Vaishnavas. Basically, materially, if you're controlled by your emotions, you have a lot of disadvantages. But also, materially, if you're controlled by your emotions, you have some advantages. Because if you take those emotions and use them for Krishna, instead of using them to offend the devotees, <laughs> and instead of using them uh, to override your logic and your philosophy, then bhakti will be very easy for you. So every material personality type and every material situation, every material situation has an advantage and a disadvantage in bhakti. There's no material situation that gives you all advantages. Even if you're Lord Brahma, you have the disadvantage of having the pride of thinking, I'm Lord Brahma. I'm already a great devotee. What do I need to do anything more for? I'm already properly situated. So what we all need to do is look at what our material personality is and find a way to use that advantageously in bhakti. But all souls have an emotional connection with the Lord. Having an emotional connection with the Lord has really nothing to do with whether materially you're a particularly emotional person or you're a particularly intellectual person. There's just no relationship whatsoever. It doesn't matter. All souls have an emotional relationship with the Lord. Materially emotional people, have, they definitely have some advantage, but they also have a disadvantage. The big disadvantage of being a very intellectual person in this world is one is attached to being an intellectual person in this world and has a pride of, I'm not very emotional. That's their abhiman. I'm not a very emotional person. And so when it comes time to be emotional with Krishna, it's very difficult. This is what Krishna talked about, Kleshodika Tarastesham. This is the problem for the jnanis. That the place where they need to be emotional, it's hard for them to be emotional. But such a person has a huge advantage when it comes to understanding Krishna conscious philosophy, when it comes to doing regular sadhana, when it comes to having respectful dealings with other Vaishnavas, they have a huge advantage. So a person like that needs to use their intelligence to draw out their emotions. Purnachandra Maharaj uh, was a very highly intellectual, brahminical, scholarly person. He was not what I would call a particularly emotional person. Uh, but he became very emotional in relationship to Krishna. And he did that intelligently. He chose leelas and he chose songs, particularly, that would bring out his emotions. Who, who, made, who was that? Pornachandra Maharaj. His samadhi is right out the door. 
He did the Gitamrita. Yes, I mean, his rendition of Gitamrita, I've listened to many, many times. I find it impossible to listen to that without becoming emotional. You just, you just can't listen to it without becoming emotional. It was, it's so well done. And uh, recently, he's published, I mean, they've posthumously published, unfortunately right now, just in Russian, his expansion of some of Krishna's leelas. And he wrote the book Obstacles, Unspoken Obstacles on the Path of Devotion, which is a little bit more intellectual book. Um, but definitely very practical. Uh, but he, he talked about how he trained himself to evoke emotions in relation to Krishna, as you mentioned. And his main way was he found there were certain songs and certain leelas that would particularly bring out his emotions in relation to Krishna. And I'm sure we all have those. We all have certain sections of the Shastra, certain activities, certain songs, certain stories, certain situations, certain services that tend to bring out our emotions. And if we try to run away from our emotions, then we avoid those situations. But if our goal is to develop our attachment to Krishna, then we should cultivate those particular situations. And those, my dear friends, will be different for each one of us. They will be different for each one of us. I mean, what brings out my emotions in relation to Krishna may leave you flat and uninterested. We, we, have, a, we have different relationships with the Lord, and we have different samskaras in this world also. And it doesn't matter if in the beginning it's mixed. Of course it's mixed in the beginning. What else would it be? It, you, can't be you can't only be pure to become pure. That's not even logically sensible. I have to go to Krishna from where I am. And it just as, as long as we're aware that, it's, that we're mixed, it's fine. As long as we're not thinking, oh, now I've cried for Krishna, I must be a pure devotee. You know, that's stupid and foolish and, and self-defeating. Does that answer your question? Yes. Uh, one question which is always in my mind when we are learning Shastra, uh, especially we come across so many Prabhupada's instructions, but often there are many instructions in our own society, it was a controversy. So as a student, we want to learn and then we want to go and share as well. So how do we know we are doing the right thing? Because I also heard uh, if you don't do like this, then you're, you're derailing Prabhupada's mission. So that is a heavy thing to... All right, let's see if I could give a very, very short answer to this question. Um, ultimately, each of us has to fly our own plane. I, 
I love the institution, but the institution is flawed. Yes? Flawed. Flawed. It's only an institution. It's only an institution. It's a vehicle. There will be, there always have been, there always will be, there always is things in the institution that do not reflect the reality. It was there when Prabhupada was with us also. Prabhupada, people would say, Prabhupada said, Prabhupada said. And what Prabhupada said is, don't believe everything that you hear Prabhupada said. Please don't think that when Prabhupada was personally here, everybody followed his instructions and the institution, the institutional practice always reflected Prabhupada's instruction. That is not true. Even when Srila Prabhupada was here, devotees and leaders would do things that were directly contrary. There would be a letter up on the board of what Prabhupada said and the temple would be doing the opposite with the letter up on the board. And it cancels the GBC once That will always be the case. We're not going to get to any point where a group of people made up of Uttama, Majjama, and Kanista Adhikaris is always going to be reflecting the reality perfectly. That just is, is not going to happen. If you think it's going to happen, you're going to be very disappointed. It, it's never going to happen. Therefore, we have the Shastra study. You, we need, each of us needs to study ourselves. And each of us needs to find at least one trusted authority that we feel secure with and have the association of people we feel secure with. And by gosh and golly, Make sure your authorities cite Shastra. If you like somebody because they're charismatic and they can hypnotize you with mystic power and, you know, they only have one pair of shoes or something like that, they'd better quote Shastra. They have to be able to substantiate what they say. And if they can't, Bhagavatam says, say yes, yes, and do what you know is right. So we have people who say all kinds of strange things. And when you say, where is this in Shastra, they can't tell you. Or they'll find something in, in, you know, some... Outside of context. Yeah, they'll find something out of context or they're going to find something from the Manu Samhita or, you know. They should be able to quote... You have to leave now? They should be able to quote something authoritative. And you need to know. You need to know. Yourself. You need to study the Shastra. You need to hear Prabhupada's lectures. You need to fill yourself so that you know. I was talking to Prahladananda Swami when we were in Russia, and he's memorized a lot of Prabhupada's books. He's read the Bhagavad Gita almost 200 times. And he's memorized the Bhagavad Gita, he's memorized Krishna book. And I was talking to him and I said, 
I forget what I said. I said something. I said, it's, I think that's such and such place in Prabhupada's books. And Prabhupada Swami looked at me and he said, definitely it is not. <laughs> and when he said that, that was it for me. You know, I thought he knows it's not there because he's memorized the books. So we need to be like that. We need to be like that. That if somebody says something, we should be able to know, is that there or not? And if we don't know, we should be able to know how to find out. And we should be able to cross-check. You know, like, like the politicians get up and say all kinds of rubbish. And the journalists are supposed to fact-check. Right? The politicians And the journalists are supposed to go and look it up and say, this is right and this is wrong. So we have to, this, we have to fly our own plane. We have to fly our own plane. Therefore, these Shastrik study. Prabhupada did not want Shastrik study just for the leaders of the Hare Krishna movement, like the old Catholic Church in medieval times, where only the leaders knew how to read and only they studied the Bible and everybody else just followed the authorities. Each one of us is meant to know Prabhupada's books and lectures and conversations and know them, really know them. And then you have at least, at least one person that you feel faith in as an authority, at least one, and preferably more than one that you can consult even on different issues. First of all, that one may not always be available and, you know, you can't expect, it's not like, it's not like your guru is your pet dog, you know, that you can just call any time and give me the answer to this and give me the answer to that, you know, like you're your secretary. But, and you should have other people that you can also consult with. I mean, I have a range of people I consult with on different things. You know, if I want to know about the Goswami's literature, ask Banu Maharaj. If I want to know something about the Vedas, I'm going to ask Rudai Maharaj. You know, if I want to know something about Prabhupada's books, I'll ask Palandananda Swami, or Jayadwaja Swami, or Dravida Prabhu. You know, if I want to know about the Bhagavatam, I'm going to ask Narayani or Burjan. I mean, if I want to know certain things, I'm going to, it depends. What I have a whole, a whole group of people I can ask about different things. And then, if something, if I'm in a particular temple where they say a particular thing that I know is rubbish, then I can say something, maybe, or I can just say yes, 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 whatever you say, and do my own thing. Now, how do you ultimately know something is right? Ultimately, you know something is right by its fruit. So, the ultimate test is Bhagavad Gita 9.2. Rajavidya, Rajaviyam, Pavitram, Idamuttamam, Prachaksha, Bhagavad Dharmam, Susukam, Kartamaviyam. But you have to have both. You have to have Guru Sadhu Shastra, especially the Shastra. And then you have to have this ultimate test of your own experience. Rajavidya. It should fill you with enlightenment. It should fill you with realization. It should fill you with understanding. Rajaguya, you should feel that you're getting something that's essential and secret and, and, and at the heart of everything. Pavitram, you should feel purified. Prachekcha, you should directly experience. Agamam dharmam, it should feel very authentic. Susukam, it should fill you with happiness. So if what you're doing doesn't meet that criteria, it's probably wrong. Now, I mean, you might have some 
you're just having a bad moment or you're tired or somebody just insulted, some uncivilized person just insulted you with harsh words and you can't settle your mind. You know, we have times like that. But overall, if we're doing the right thing, we should be filled with knowledge. We should have a feeling that we're getting to the secret essence of things. Our life should feel purified. Our li- everything should feel very authentic and real to us. And we should be full of happiness. And, you know, other symptoms. We should have compassion. We should be becoming more broad-minded and, and more merciful and more kind and more loving. And all the 26 qualities of the devotee should be manifesting in us. And if they're not, then we've understood something wrong. That's our main evidence procedure. You know, if you're taking medicine and you're not getting better... Of course, I remember I was seeing a doctor once, and I said, you know, look. I said, I've seen you so many times, and I'm still broken. I said, if you took a radio in to be repaired 30 times, it was still broken. He said, then you throw out the radio. He said, unfortunately, we're not going to throw out the body. But in general, you know, like Prabhupada talks about eating. He said, if you're eating, and you're not feeling satisfied that either you're not actually eating or there's parasites in your belly. So if we say, I'm doing Krishna consciousness, but I'm not joyful and I'm not peaceful, even you're not doing Krishna consciousness, like you're chewing gum instead of eating. Not doing Krishna consciousness, maybe you're doing Rajagun Dharma. We got a bunch of people doing that. We got people doing Tamagun stuff in the name of Krishna consciousness, frankly. Lord Kapiladev talks about that in the third canto that you can, you can do tamagun things in the name of Krishna consciousness. We have people in our movement who do tamagun things in the name of Krishna consciousness, honestly. We always have, and we have at the present, and we will in the future. So you may be doing tamagun things in the name of Krishna consciousness. I know devotees who think their service is to blaspheme other devotees. They think that's their service. I was telling Sitala today, I said this one devotee took a, a video of an old rock singer singing about women's liberation and distributed it on the internet saying that it was me singing that <laughs> before I was a devotee. <laughs> and, and when I asked him about it, he says, oh, everybody knows it's not you. I said, that's not true, Prabhu. I said, I got all these letters of condolences, you know, we're so sorry that you did that before you were a devotee, but, you know, that was in the past. It's okay. I said, it wasn't me. It was some rock star. I was just seven years old at that, that time, you know. And, 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 I, and I asked him, and even his guru asked him, you know, please take this down. And he says, no, it's my duty to expose Ormila's faults. I mean, that would be nice if he exposed my faults, but it wasn't even my fault. It was the fault of some, somebody else. So that's Tamagun. Yes, is that Tamagun or not? That's Tamagun. So you could be doing Tamagun in the name of Bhakti. I mean, it, it is really, it, is, it would be funny if nobody believed it, you know. But really, I got all these messages. It's all right, Ormila, whatever you did in the past. Then we have people doing Rajagun in the name of Bhakti. Let's all just get into Varnashram. They think that's the goal of life. That's Rajagun in the name of Bhakti. You have a lot of people doing sattva guna in the name of bhakti. You know? 
And then you have, we have karma measure bhakti going on, we have gan measure bhakti going on, we have a little bit of yoga measure bhakti going on, we have a bunch of different things going on. So make sure you're doing uttam bhakti, and then make sure you're not committing offenses. And you've got to fly your own plane. You've got to fly your own plane. You cannot depend on the institution, whatever the world that means, because the institution is made up of hundreds of thousands of people. You cannot depend on the institution to fly your plane for you. The institution provides a sangha where you can find many, 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 many wonderful devotees. Pick and choose those people who will help you in your sadhana, Pick those people who will help you. This The institution provides a, a platform. It's very easy to serve Srila Prabhupada in ISKCON. It's not so easy to serve Srila Prabhupada if you're in the Catholic Church. You can do it. I know people who do it. But it's not so easy. So it provides a platform for serving Srila Prabhupada. It provides a wonderful platform for becoming Krishna conscious. It provides a wonderful platform for Sangha. There's so many opportunities in ISKCON. But whatever ISKCON is, and I'm not quite sure what it is exactly, what we mean when we say that, is not going to fly your plane for you. You've got to fly your own plane. Yes? Hare Krishna. Thank you for coming, and we may see you tomorrow, correct? You'll tell me if we see you tomorrow. But we'll see you again sometime if we don't see you tomorrow. Always be happy. Did you want to ask me something? And then we'll stop. Now that Udwar is so best, and why he doesn't belong the 12 great pure devotees, such as Bhishma and Shukadeva Swami Bhavi and the Why is he not listed at Brahmi Mahajans? You know, I've always wondered why that particular list of Mahajanas and I've never seen an answer to that question. Why, why are the Mahajans that particular list? That list was given by Yamaraj, Narada, Swai, Narada Swayambhu, Sambhu, Kapila, Kamaro, Manu, um, Pralada, Janaka, Bhishma, Balir, Vyasakir, Vayam. Why that list? I don't know. And I've never seen any explanations anywhere. Chaitra Jaswami always says, if you don't know, just say, you don't know. <laughs> and I, I've asked the question, I've wondered about it. I've never wondered about it enough to research it. So I've wondered, I've thought, why that list? But I've never asked anybody, I've never seen anything. It could be if I looked into it, I would find out. If you find out, let me know, because that would be an interesting question. Uh, I will say one thing, that um, whenever you find lists of chief devotees, they're not the same lists. I was uh, interested, I'm still interested, but I was particularly interested, particularly researching some time ago when I was teaching 10th Canto, Chapter 32, about who are the chief gopis. So, in Mayapur, we have nine gopis on the altar. And I think many devotees assume that those nine gopis are the chief gopis. 
Definitely, absolutely, they are not. So Rupa Goswami starts Bhakti Vasamrita Sindhu with a list of gopis, Tarika, Pali. I mean, he gives that list. I think there's like six gopis in that list. Then Prabhupada gives a list of the chief gopis. The main list you see of the chief gopis are Radharani, uh, Chandravali, Lalita Vishaka, Padma, Saibya, Bhadra, and Shamala. But there's other lists that have Gopali and Tarika, and they're different lists. Well, there you go. Is there a list? It seems not. It seems not. So the list given by Yamaraj in the Bhagavatam we refer to as the twelve Mahajanas. Is that the list? Probably not. It's probably a list, not the list. Because from what I can understand, there is no such thing as the list. Depends who you are and what is your perspective. Now, do you think the elderly gopis see Radharani as the queen of Vrindavan? No. Who do they see as the queen of Vrindavan? Mother Yasoda. Mother Yasoda. There's others who see Vrinda as the queen of Vrindavan. Do you know other sampradayas? There's some sampradayas that see that Krishna's chief consort is the Yamuna. Oh. <laughs> And some see Krishna's chief consort as Tulsi. Uh-huh, yeah. So, or Lakshmi and Vaikuntha. But Krishna, I'm talking about Krishna. No, Raj Krishna. You know, so it's when the cowherd boys think about the chief devotees. They're going to get a, a list of Subal and Tridam and Uddhava and, and uh, Ujwala, rather, and Stoka Krishna. And so, as far as I can understand, those are lists more of their subjective lists according to the view of that devotee. They're not some sort of objective. Because how can you make an objective list of the best devotees? Narada Muni tried to do that in the Brihad Bhagavatamrita, and he really had a hard time with it. And then you have, there's a statement in the Bhagavatam that the best devotee is... Srimati Radharani. No. Radharani's name is not mentioned in the Bhagavatam. Oh, yeah. In the Bhagavatam, the best devotee is listed as... Does anybody know? Lord Shiva. And the best holy place is listed as... Do you know? What the Bhagavatam list is the best holy place. Kashi. So, there you go. So, as to why those particular 12 people are on that particular list, and why we generally refer to the 12 Mahajanas as being that list, I don't know, and I'd love to hear the answer to that. Um, But I do see that there's different lists. Different devotees have different lists. Different Shastras have different lists. And that's the best answer that I can give you. That ultimate spiritual reality is very, very 
impersonal. It's very broad. And it's very personal. It's very, yes, rasa and tattva. And it's very individual and very personal. And, you know, on, on a certain level, stop looking for the and start finding your. In the beginning, it's good to find the. And you feel very safe and secure and you have these little boxes that you can put everything in. And this is the way it is. It's just like this and anybody who sees it differently is wrong. That's probably very, very useful in the beginning. But in the ultimate issue, just like we read when Krishna married the queens, it was a little different Krishna that married each queen. (laughs) Matching her. Yes, each Krishna matched the queen that he married. And the ultimate absolute truth is not the, but my. Ultimately, the absolute truth is, is my absolute truth, your absolute truth, your absolute truth. In the beginning, yes. But we should reach a point where we have our personal relationship with Krishna, which has to be within the range of Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra, you know. If you say you're going to be a gopi dancing with Nisinga Day, that would be pretty weird. <laughs> so, you know, you have, it has to be Guru, Sadhu, Shastra. It, it can't be something out of, the, out of your imagination. But we do ultimately have our own relationship with Krishna. We really do. We have our own relationship with the Supreme Absolute Truth. That's our philosophy. That is our the. (laughs) Our the Absolute Truth is that each of us have our experience of the That is our Siddhanta. Am I correct? Yeah, you're correct. That is our Vaishnava Siddhanta. Is that every single jiva has their own relationship with the Absolute Truth. The absolute truth appears in a somewhat different form to each jiva. Displays somewhat different qualities for each jiva. And each jiva is going to have a little different list of who are the best devotees in the ultimate reality. Otherwise, why are we finding different lists of the chief gopis? Don't you think that's odd? There should just be the list of the chief gopis, but there isn't. I, that I researched for quite a while. What was the list? There isn't one. There's several. There's several. And that depends on who you are. Who you are is who you accept as authority. Because Rupa Goswami would have his own list, and each authority would have their own list. And well, but even that, even that, I mean. You know, okay, if, if you accept Shiva Prabhupada and Bhakti Sananda and Bhakti Vinod and Rupa and Sanatan, you're still going to find more than one list. Yeah. But different Acharyas have different But they may also give different lists. So if, if Prabhupada you, gives more than one list. So that's not going to help you. Sorry. Good try. But it, it's ultimately, you know, our own realization as we awaken, as we realize who we are, we will have our own list that these are the chief devotees for me. That these, are the, that these devotees exemplify what is best, what is the highest. 
and that they are the highest expression of, of the way I want to love Krishna. And that ultimately comes. So I think we have to be careful. You know, it's fine to have a, a the, it's like this, but we should always understand that it's not exactly like that. It may be useful in the beginning, but it's not, it's not really like that. The Siddhanta is that everything is individual and personal. That is the Siddhanta within the scope of Guru Sadhu and Shastra. Not just, you know, you can't like take LSD and make up your own Siddhanta. Is that all right? That's the best I can do for you. Hopefully that's sufficient. Thank you all very, very much. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to preach on the Bhagavatam in Vrindavan Dham. To all of you wonderful Vaishnavas. Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Uddhava Ki Jai. Vidura Ki Jai. Maitreya Ki Jai. Lord Sri Krishna Ki Jai. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Without whom we wouldn't have any of this.